It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist editor with Rick Roaring. As always, it's sponsored by Blake, the attorney, Maislin. We talk about sports topics of local interest, occasionally a national topic. We're getting closer and closer to our multifaceted gambling segment as college and pro football fast approach. And the segment of the podcast where you can ask a question on any topic, go to the Twitterverse, hit up the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick compiles them, you ask them, I answer them, and it doesn't have to be about sports. In fact, Rick and I prefer when it's not about sports, but it can be about sports because this podcast is usually about sports. Rick, uh, I'm back, uh, flew in last night from vacation, so um, not clean shaven for this this morning, going with the ball cap, sorry for that, but it's, a, it's that day after hangover, if you will. Yeah, that's right. If you're not aware, if you typically listen to this on whatever podcast app you use, we are on YouTube now. So you can view it on YouTube as well as listen to it on any podcast app. So that's why Skinny's talking about our appearance here on the the last two shows. We've started a video component to this podcast as well. So if you want to do that, you're welcome to. But Skinny, we've got got a lot to get to now that baseball is back in action. Uh, Training camp is just a week away for the Bengals. Uh, Some Kentucky just played some basketball games last week, so a lot of sports stuff to get to. But let's start with the Reds. They've now lost six games in a row, including all five since the All-Star break. They were swept by the Brewers in a three-game series and now have dropped their first two to the Giants as we record this on Wednesday morning. They're two and a half games back of first place with 66 games remaining. Skinny, how concerned are you? about the Reds losing skid coming out of the all-star break. Yeah, I think it is concerning because, you know, the the offense went south for, you know, that three or four game stretch. And it certainly was probably due to have that happen at some point. And then the night that you get the offense clicking, the the pitching doesn't hold up. And that's that seemed to be what this team did in that magical run. And they were scoring a lot of runs, mind you, but it was always kind of complimentary baseball, if you will, that, that you know, on, on days that, that they got four runs, the pitching staff held a team to three. On days when the pitching staff gave up nine, they got ten. Uh, you know, and, and I don't know if that part was sustainable. I, I do think the offense is due for a bounce back, and maybe that's what last night did, or the, the, the Tuesday night game did, that second game, the regularly scheduled game, is it kind of got everybody back on track. And I think when push comes to shove, Christian Encarnacion Strand is going to force his way into the lineup as a regular on a, on a on a regular basis moving forward. There's just too much potential power there. Yeah, fans were treated to the long-awaited debut of Christian Encarnacion Strand on Monday night, and then he was called up to pinch hit on Tuesday and hit a three-run bomb on a pitch that it hung a little bit. It was a slider that hung, but skinny. It was low and away from him, and he reached down, got it, and pulled it the other way up into the the cheap seats, the bleacher seats in left field there, the upper deck, this kid has incredible power. Yeah, um, it's funny. I, I we, we landed about, oh, I don't know, 9 o'clock-ish by the time we got home. I, I walked in the house. The, the, the first at-bat I saw was Matt McClain drawing the walk. The next at-bat I saw was the pitching change and Encarnacion Strand coming up to pinch it. So I got a chance to see it. And that was the thing to me. I talked to a friend of mine after about it last night after the home run. I said, you know, he just put an easy swing on that. It wasn't like he overswung at it, didn't try to do too much with it. And he hits at nine miles. Then if you remember the next at bat, he goes the opposite way for a base hit. So he, I mean, if you look at his numbers going back to college to the minor, this dude just is a pure hitter, period, in a story that has power on top of that. I mean, the numbers, they don't always, as we know, correlate, but the guy's never not hit. And it's not just, hey, he's got a bunch of power and he's going to, you know, he's not going to do anything else. This guy's just a hitter. And, and I think an RBI machine that you can plug in the middle of the lineup. And, and maybe it is a good thing that Ellie's now batting lead off because now you can start to see this lineup formulate even more moving forward of what it's going to look like down the road. Maybe not down the road now. Yeah, maybe right away. I want to talk more about the actual lineup and get into some of your thoughts on that. But going back to the concerns about this losing streak, to me, I'm more worried about the way the Reds lost on Tuesday night to the Giants than I am the series against the Brewers. And by that, I mean, we talked about the offense in the last show. We both think, the offense is going to be okay. This yeah. team will be able to score runs. They'll be able to figure that out. It's not great that they had three games in a row against the Brewers, if you go back to the one before the All-Star break, where they didn't even score. Like, that is a little bit concerning, but I don't. I think that is just a blip on the radar. I don't think that's a real issue for them. But what I am concerned about is that Tuesday night game where 
you're going your starter doesn't make it deep into the game because he gets injured and then you're going into the bullpen and these guys just can't seem to to keep you in front even though your offense is coming up with big hit after big hit and you get the 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 three run bomb from CES and and Vado it's about like you're getting big plays from your offense but the the pitching just can't keep you in front that's a concern for me especially as you're waiting for some of those starting pitchers to get back into the fold from injury I just don't know if the pitching you have now will be able to keep you in contention until that happens. And there's still no timetable for Hunter Green or uh, or Nick Lodolo for their return, and and uh, that's a big part of it. You know, you would hope that Tony Santian would come up and give you a little bit of a shot. Instead, he ends up walking the ballpark last night, and, and that, that can't happen. And, and it's funny because you've gotten some really good individual performances out of that bullpen. I did a, a radio interview with our friend Chad Brendel last week while I was on vacation. He was uh, guest hosting on ESPN 1530, and I said, you know, if I'm David Bell for this stretch in July coming out of the break, I'm going to lean really hard into my bullpen if I have to just to get through this stretch to make sure that you're still in contention and then either you're making a deal – at the end of the month at the trade deadline and, or you're getting green and or Lodolo back. Um, and I still think that's the right formula, but it, it feels like it's a different guy out of that pen right now on a dirt, on a certain night. That's not holding up their end of the bargain, unfortunately. Yeah. And we, we talked about this too. It felt like you were, I don't know what the right term for is, but getting lucky for lack of a better term or dodging bullets in the first half with the way your bullpen did pitch, because that was expected to be a weakness coming into the year. And they, they held up over the first half of the season, but I don't know that it's realistic to expect this ragtag group to continue doing that in the second half. And that that's where I really get concerned about this team. We were talking about the lineup though. Now that all of the main prospects who were expected to, to be called up this year, I think are up. What do you think that the ideal lineup and, and fielding alignment looks like? for the Reds. Obviously it can change day to day and it will change day to day based on pitching matchups and whatnot. But if they have to go to one game, winner takes all, who do you like best out there? Well, I mean, it would depend. Are are we going against a righty here or a lefty? Because I think you have a lineup for both. I really do. Yeah. I mean, I I guess probably a righty is more likely. Yeah. I mean, I I would, I, I still like Friedel in the leadoff spot. I know what he tried to do. Sometimes when you're in that slump, you're just trying to shake things up. I mean, you're, you're hoping you get Ellie on, uh, a couple of times a game, you get him an extra at bat, and he's going to wind up stealing a couple of bases and stealing you a run. So I full and and Friedel's such a good bunner, such a good handler of the bat that if, if Ellie's on, he's probably going to be able to move him over or get a ground ball or or hit a sacrifice fly. I understand all that. And McLean is probably your most consistent best hitter, and that's usually the number three hole. Um, I, I I think against a righty, I I think I would still I would go as it stands now. I'd probably go Ellie. Ellie Friedel, McLean, CES, believe it or not, Fraley, Votto. Um, gosh, where are we at here? Steer's got it. Steer, I don't have a steer in the lineup, I don't believe. No, Steer would be in Steer would be in left. So the guy, I guess the odd man out would be Will Benson at this point. So that and that's more what I'm getting at. Not so much like we have to go through every spot in the lineup. Yeah, no, I how I, do you if if you're in that situation where you're like, I want to put my best nine, and again, right. to your point. It probably depends on righty versus yeah, lefty sure. matchup wise. Yeah, I mean, we saw it last night. I mean, he pinch fairly hits a home run. And he pinch hit for him with the lefty on the mound, and 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 there was still a lot of ball game left. Yeah, that was when CES hit his home run, right? Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, what a first of all, what a great move by David Bell. One that had it not worked out, everybody would have been no probably crushing him for yep. it. But yep. instead, everyone's like, "Hey, David Bell's a genius." Um, but I'm just more almost from like a, maybe this is even a favoritism thing on your part. Like who who do you really like out there in the lineup? But I think that's the the hard part to decide is you start trying to shuffle and you're like, well, Vado is hitting the ball out of the ballpark about as well as anyone on this team right now, and and has a you know a high OPS and all this stuff. So it's like it's hard to take him out of the lineup right now. And maybe he's maybe you don't want him at first base. Maybe he's your DH. I don't know, but it's still hard to take him out of the mix right now. Steer, it's hard to he can play multiple spots. It's hard to take him out of the mix. Well, Benson's been hot recently. And then, I mean, I was the guy who was defending Jonathan India just a few weeks ago when people were talking about trading him. But I'll be honest, when I get through this lineup and I'm trying to put my favorite lineup on the field right now, it probably doesn't include Jonathan India just because of how hot Will Benson has been at that last spot in left field. And, and, and that, that maybe that's the case too. I mean, that that's the part you have to have to look at too. I mean, is, are you better off with McLean at second? De La Cruz at short, 
I don't know about CES long-term as a third baseman, although he made a play on a ball last night. I mean, I, I think that would probably be steer defensively and Encarnacion strand at, at first or DH, however you want to do Votto on a given day. Yeah, I think I think you you're probably better off with Votto at first base defensively than CES would be my right. guess at this point in their career. And then at third, I think Steer is better than CES yeah. as well. Yeah. So you can DH CES. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Your, your, your infield be Steer, Ellie, Matt McClain, and Votto. I'll be honest though with you, Skinny. I don't know what you think about this. There are times where I'm not so sure that Ellie's not their best option at third base because of that arm. Maybe. I mean, he's got a great, great arm. So that brings us a little full circle to a question that came about about a month or, so, or six weeks ago where C. Trent Rosecrans of The Athletic brought up the idea of trading Jonathan India. I mean, are we getting to that point now where you've got enough pieces up here to say it's a nice piece to trade, even though I'm not I'm not fully down with that, but I think you have to at least explore it. If you're, con- if you're considering the odd man out at this point, I don't think they do, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah, uh, I don't think they consider that, but it's got to be on the table now, right? Yeah, but and again, let me be clear when I say he'd be my odd man out. That's in like my ideal today, want to play a game today sure. lineup. Sure, sure. But I also part of my point all along with Jonathan India is these young guys haven't proven a whole lot yet. Right. I mean, yes, they've been great for a, a month or so, but let's let it go a little bit longer. Uh, and now, don't get me wrong, if you can find a great deal for Jonathan India, meaning you can get a legit starting pitcher right now, then I'm totally interested in that deal, 100%. My guess is that's not an option. So am I just giving Jonathan India away for money or parts? Probably not. I'd want something real in return if you're going to trade him away right now because otherwise you can still trade him away in the offseason. Yeah, I I think for David Bell, and he's done a pretty good job, I think think what this does still give him a chance to to mix and match a lot. I think it also gives him a chance – I'll be quite frank, and I don't know how much longer it's going to be the three-catcher system when Kevin Newman comes back, for example. They're going to have to make a roster move. I can't imagine that roster move is sending CES back down. I can't can't fathom that unless he goes over his next 15 with nine strikeouts and looks like a fool. So I can't imagine that. So it's probably a catcher eye, man. But if you're going to keep this, and on a night when Kirk DeSally starts, if if it's a key situation even early in the game, I may just pinch it for the guy. Honestly, I mean, you treat it like a pitcher spot almost without having to take the pitcher out. Um... I don't think that's going to be a problem long-term because I honestly think that it's going to be down to, well, not a problem, but you're probably going to be, one of these catchers is probably going to be the odd man out between him and him and Luke Maley. But, you know, maybe that's what you do is, hey, I got all these, I got an extra hot bat on the bench. And yeah, okay, he's, if it's leading off the third and it's 1-1, I'm not going to pinch hit for him there. But if it's, you know, bottom of the third and we're down 2 nothing, I got bases loaded and nobody out, I'm going to get a better hitter up there. I'm sorry, I am. That sounds extreme, but... I'm all for it. You've got the extra catchers. That's not going to make a big right. difference. And uh, to your point, the depth is a big part of what we've been talking about with this lineup and this roster. And going back to the CES for Jake Fraley in a game where Jake Fraley hit a home run already, you're pinch hitting for him. Why? Because you've got that type of talent and depth. In the fifth if, inning. Right. If they change pitchers and you've got a better matchup, you can do that type of thing. And I think keeping a, a guy like Jonathan India around in the mix is is a big part of that. Right? And he's, I still go back. I still think he's the heart and soul for this this group as it stands right now. I do too. And and again, I mean, who knows what this team is going to be able to accomplish this year? I, I still have my doubts, but but it's been fun to watch them, and it's exciting that they're in this position. I just don't think it it requires you to trade Jonathan India away just yet. I, but at the same time, I acknowledge that all these young guys in the infield spots. It's getting hard to figure out where everyone's going to play on a night-to-night basis. So uh, it's getting into some some fun, nerdy baseball questions. It is. No, no, no question. I mean, I, dude, I, trust me. I mean, following this team has been a lot of fun this year. I, I mean, we were, we were literally taxiing out to take off last night, and uh, the, the score popped up, the final score. I was trying to – I couldn't get much internet service on the plane as we were taxiing out, but all of a sudden the final score popped up from a push alert. And I'm like, damn. And I literally said out loud, damn. And I looked around me, I'm like, did I just say that out loud? I think I did. And then, you know, when I land, I'm like, All right, what's the score? What thing doing? I had to race home because I, I wanted to see the, the game sounded crazy exciting. And like I said, I walked in the door, watched the walk, and, and then the home run from CES. So this team has still been very much fun to watch. Um, this will be interesting because this is kind of the first adversity that these young guys have hit at the big league level, right? I mean, this has kind of been all fun in games, and we've been throwing out crazy wild numbers that they're 22-6 and six since Ellie came up or 24-8 and eight since Ellie came up. Well, that's starting to – shrink a little bit towards towards the the other side of things so let's see how these guys handle adversity and that's part of it too yeah well and, and part of it is they're slumping 
a little bit yes. now too, yes. right? Like Ellie has really struggled all of a sudden. He can't get the ball in the air. They, these guys are having some issues, not just the team as a whole. So it will be interesting to see if they can get over the hill. And again, that's why I'm not ready to just say, you have to trade Jonathan India right now, because what happens if these guys aren't? quite ready yet and it takes them a couple years before they they really get going but let me say and i will give david bell credit for this and i think he's going to have to come to this 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 judgment with ces as well the fact that he's letting these guys try to play their way through slumps and he's, he keeps plugging them in the lineup it's the, and i think that's the key to i mean you're going to give him a day off here and there no matter what um but i, I think it's a good thing that it's not this whole yeah sit out for three games no let's right. see what you got man let's see how you handle the adversity of this let's see if i move you a different spot in the order and how you handle those things i think it's a big part of the development process uh, we're past the kid's glove point with this yeah. group and he's that, done a good that, job of that i think yes oh he's he's handled it masterfully I mean, there's I, been a couple I, times where I've, I've watched i've seen an leo for five or an leo for four. I'm like uh i'm probably gonna sit him like oh no now he's back in lead off all right change of yeah. pace it feels like he has a really good feel for this group, to be quite honest. He's done a great job managing this team. So I'm not concerned about David Bell, but I think you're dead on with that that point. Uh, one other thing to get to Reds related here, Skinny. Joey Votto hit home run number 350 in his career on Tuesday night. He now needs 39 to tie and 40 to take the Reds franchise record from Johnny Bench. Do you think he gets it? No. No, because I, I think when push comes to shove, there's just too many young guys in the pipeline to bring him back next year. Uh, maybe they – I just don't really? see – I don't see that. I I, I mean, let, let's say he gets to 20 this year, meaning he hits 12 more, which right. is possible in the second half, I think, the way he's going. If yeah, no, I, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. That means he needs 28 more. You don't think there's any chance he comes back on like a, a two-year minimum on the bench type know. of deal to chase this? In some ways, I almost feel like, especially the way he's hitting the ball out of the park now – this might be kind of a reason for him to stay around yeah. and hang around. And, and I hate to be the Debbie Downer with this, but that's, I guess that's my persona. I mean, I, we saw Luis Pujols do this at the end of his career, right? He'd have a couple of really good weeks and you're like, and he's chasing 700 and all those things. And it's really cool. Um, I just, and 28, and tw- if he had to hit 28 next year or 30 ish next year to get to that number, um, I don't even know if he was a, 155 game full-time DH if he would do that at some point father time is going to say sorry guy I agree but my my thing is if you need if you need 28 home runs could he get that in two years as in a part-time role potentially uh I I think it's gonna be still very very hard I, I do all right fair enough Anything else on the Reds here before we switch gears, Skinny? No, I, the one thing I would say is the, the, the good part, I don't think Milwaukee's going to still run away with anything. You're only two and a half behind at the moment. I mean, you can wake up Friday and be a half game behind again with still all the things in the world. Um, but they they certainly need a big one on Wednesday night, and then you get Andrew Abbott pitching on Thursday afternoon. So you got a chance to to maybe salvage a split of this series. Um, and we'll see how they respond. Again, I think that's a big part of the growing process for all these guys is how do you handle this stuff? Yeah, it feels like if this goes into – the, the rest of this week goes into next week. It becomes a real thing. And now well, you're yeah, like, yeah, uh, you got, yeah, you got Diamondbacks and Dodgers still looming too. So yeah, I mean, this exactly. is still a, a really tough month. Definitely. All right. Let's switch to the Bengals side of things. Training camp starts next Wednesday, July 26. We have a number of Bengals related topics to get to here. We'll start with the big news of the week. Joe Mixon has agreed to take a pay cut. He's now set to make five and a half million this year about with the potential to make another 2 million in incentives. That's a pay cut of nearly four and a half million this year and, and over four and a half million for next year. How do you think the next two seasons play out for Joe Mixon? It's a great question because the, the, the way it's restructured is um, it's a pretty de- good deal even for next year if he's productive. Don't don't call it restructure. Joe Goodberry will get mad at you. Don't no, it is a restructure. restructure. Trust me, it's a restructure. Um, I guess you could say they eliminated the old contract and gave him a new one. How about we do that? Uh, the, the thing for him last year is the productivity level as a runner slipped um, significantly. Now he had the great playoff game in Buffalo and you can't take that away from him. He did set career highs in reception to receiving yards, but his yards per game was the lowest rushing since his rookie season when he was splitting carries with Jeremy Hill and Gio Bernard that season. So that you got to, got to throw that out the window. Yeah. Um you know, they haven't overused him in his career, but at some point running backs, it feels like five or six years in now, there's a, there's still wear and tear on that. And if he doesn't show explosiveness and we start to see Chase Brown show some of that and that he can carry more of the load, you know, maybe we see the seismic shift this year. In fact, I'm doing a daily like quick position analysis of guys who are locks to make it, likely to make it, battling to make it. 
And my headline for the running backs, which I've already done, was Mixon's still the main man, comma, but for how long? And I think that's up to him. It's a matter of, um, you know, how productive can he be? And I think it's the contract is structured as such that if it's it's not, um, then you walk away and, and the cap hit isn't isn't a, the dead cap hit isn't a big one. And if he is, well, you got him on a pretty good deal for next year. So I, I think it's up to him and, and how that goes. I think if you are following this, if you had been listening to our podcast or any of the other Bengals podcasts that are out there, you probably understood that the Bengals were either unlikely to have Joe Mixon this year, right. or he was going to agree to take less money. It just didn't seem likely that they were going to pay him over $10 million to, to be their running back going into next season. So I think you would agree with me that as of now, he will be their starter oh, on sure. game one. How, let's say by week nine, do you think he is still the starter at that point? That's a great question. I mean, I haven't seen Chase Brown play in a real game yet. I've seen him play in college. I like him in college. Um, you know, rookie running backs can certainly hit the ground running. So I, I think a lot of it depends on what do we see from Chase Brown in camp, in preseason. Um, you know, when the season starts, does Joe get off to a fast start or is it 11 carries for 27 yards? And some of that, I guess you could pin on the offensive line, but is Joe making guys miss? Is Joe running through tackles? He didn't throw a lot, run through a lot of tackles last year. The Buffalo game aside, I mean, he was great in the Buffalo game. The offensive line was great in the Buffalo game, but he was great too. I mean, he ran through people. He made people miss. He didn't do that a lot last year running the ball. And so, again, I think it's what do we see from him? And, and honestly, maybe it's just the typical running back. It's just eventually you've got a little bit too much wear and tear to do the things you used to do. And um, fresh new legs can do those things. That's why the running back position right now in the league just isn't a premium position. We've seen it with all these franchise tag dudes. And they're all pissed about it. But hey, listen, man, you're worth what you're worth. And, and unfortunately, that position right now is devalued. And sorry for that. Is I think it's uh, um, Peter Brandt on uh, – uh, not Peter Brandt, uh, whatever. Kyle Brandt on Good Morning Football has said – he looks in the camera a lot of times and said, moms and dads, don't let your kids grow up to be running backs. I mean, there's a lot of truth to that right now. You're just not going to get paid. Yeah, I saw somebody – I can't remember who it was. It was one of the national football writers tweet something about – Draft a running back, play them right away, franchise tag them maybe one time, and then draft a new running back. That's how you should handle it. And Austin Eckler retweeted him. It was like, this is the type of trash that gets permeated throughout the league and is devaluing one of the best positions in the sport. And his point was that every good team typically has a really good running back. And first of all, I don't know how true that is. But second of all, I think he's missing the point there. The running back isn't good because he's a good running back. The running back is good because he's playing with a great quarterback and a great offense that is making him put up big numbers. I, yeah, I, I just don't listen, think it's that valuable position. Yeah, I mean, you have to have a certain skill set for sure. But, I mean, look at last year's two Super Bowl teams, running back by committee in Kansas City and the seventh-round pick leading the way, and a total running back by committee in Philly. You know, Buffalo, team the Bengals beat in the playoffs. They kind of got through it. Really, their running game was their quarterback more than their running back. Um, so, you know, I, I know – I guess Frisco's a little bit of an outlier because they traded for Christian McCaffrey, but they still involve Debo Samuel in that running game. It's not complete running back by committee, but they've had success with the running back by committee before they went and got Christian McCaffrey. So no, not every great team. Does. I mean, no offense to Austin Eckler. I think he's a great player, but it's not like you all won a lot of playoff games, my man. I'm sorry. Right. Now that's not your fault specifically, but you know, don't, don't give me that nonsense. I, I, I hate to do it, but it's, it, it is a position that's devalued and understandably so. Yeah, I get it. They want to get paid, but it's sure. just the, the way, you know, fullbacks wanted a, a job still. And yeah, right. the game changed on them. You know, I yes, mean, it is what it is. Right. Uh, you're doing position previews heading into training camp at local12.com. What position battle is going to be most interesting to watch in camp? It's a great question. Um, certainly the safety mix, I guess. Yeah, uh, that's the one I had that, on my list. Yeah. Um, just because you're hoping Nick Scott got that year of starting under his belt and he's going to be the guy and you certainly have Dax slated in there. But you know, what if Jordan battle comes along and just stuns you in camp and wows you in camp. And then you have to make a decision on that. Um, You know, maybe Tyson Anderson shows us something. He, you know, he got hurt last year and didn't play. Uh, So I I think the safety battle for me is, is a big, big one. Is it possible that Dax Hill and Jordan battle start together? Or do you think that's they're more similar no, I think they could start together. I don't think to start the season, he's going to put two guys who've never played in NFL. Well, right. Dax has played some NFL snaps, but not very many. And a rookie back there, I think you at least know Nick Scott has has done it in a Super Bowl. He did it in a playoff run. He started all, all last year for, for the Rams. So you at least know he's got some veteran presence, has seen some things and been through some things. So I think at least as the season starts, Nick Scott's probably with Dax Hill. But 
you know, if Jordan Battle shows you enough in camp and then you give him some snaps and games to relieve some of those guys, and I think you'll see more of that than what you saw last year. I mean, if you look at the snap counts, I want to say Von Bell and Jesse Bates were like 97, 98% of the snaps at safety last year because of their durability and because of their importance. And Dax never got really a chance. And I understand that. I mean, you're trying to win football games. Um, but, you know, maybe this year you're, you're more willing to give Jordan a handful of snaps just because you already got young guys in there anyway. And so let's let's rotate him through a little bit. The idea in my head that I have is that battle is more of a, a hitter and Scott is more of a coverage guy. Do you feel like that's kind of I don't accurate? Know. Jordan Battle's got pretty good ball skills too. So oh, yeah, no doubt. I just I, yeah. I I guess it's more that Scott isn't as much of a hitter and Battle is more of a hybrid guy that that likes to get in the middle, mix it, and hit running backs and th- that type of thing. And I'll tell you, Nick Scott is not a big dude. I mean, I love him. He's a great guy to talk to, but he's not a big guy. And so there's the other part of does, does he stand up for 17 games? I mean, that's the other part that I, I think we always maybe I don't say devalue, but didn't really take into a lot of consideration consideration when Vaughn and Jesse was their durability. My lord, yeah. they played so many snaps because they they just bounce back week after week after week to play at a very physical demanding position. And I think it's the other part to it. It is a physical demanding position. Some other top storylines that you might be looking at, Skinny. One I had in my mind is uh, the health of Chidobi Awuzie. It sounded like he was in a really good spot at OTAs. Yep. Uh, I guess is that – where's the, what's the expectation for him coming into training camp? Yeah, I mean, I actually – I literally asked him, do you have a timeline? And he said, he said, my timeline is to be ready by week one. But no, not as far as camp goes. So I think that's going to be the first thing to look at on that Wednesday, uh, or maybe even when we talk to to we have the media luncheon on Monday when we talk to to Zach Taylor and, and Lou Anarumo of where what do they think Cheeto is? Um, you know, certainly see him in the locker room moving around playing ping pong on in, in a pair of cleats. Um, it made you kind of give a little pause of oh god, what if he catches one of those cleats? But he was moving around quite well, um, looked pretty good doing so. That's now going to be five weeks removed from the last time we saw him. So I can only imagine the five weeks in between, you know, barring any kind of goofy setback, he's only getting better and stronger with, with the knee. So uh, I think that's probably whatever his timeline is. I think he'll make that timeline. he's talked about being ready for week one. Uh, Seeing miles Murphy and where's where he's at. That's for me. That's one of the big things in training camp. Cause it feels like sometimes with these rookies, I know before they play in real games, you're not going to know a whole lot, but it does seem like sometimes you can see a guy, oh, he, he looks like he belongs here, or this guy's so far behind right. the eight ball. He's just swimming right now. He doesn't get what they're trying to ask him to do, and he's got no real shot to make an early impact. I, I have no idea where Miles Murphy is going to fall on that spectrum. I don't know if you have any thoughts on it, but that, for me, is one of the big storylines of camp. It, 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 well, it, it's not just him, I think, I, and he certainly is the main guy because he's the first-round draft pick, but I'm really fascinated when we get to some ones v. ones in camp um, and Luana Ruma puts out, and he's probably not going to tip his hand completely, but you got to rep these guys doing it. What maybe that first pass rush group looks like, right? When it's a, when they're doing third and sevens and third and eights and doing maybe a third down period. Um, you know, does he kick Sam Hubbard inside and have Murphy alongside him inside as kind of a three technique with Hubbard and Osai? Um, does Osai not go with that group right away? And maybe it is Murphy on the outside and Hubbard inside, or is it Murphy inside? So with, with B.J. Hill, I, that's the fascinating part is how is that pass rush group going to look like when they go to some of those third down scenarios? And then how do they perform in, in those circumstances? Because you're not going to see Trey Hendrickson in the preseason. You're not going to see Sam Hubbard in the preseason. You'll probably see a lot of Miles Murphy at end. But I think those training camp reps are, are going to at least show us where maybe Lou's mind is when it comes to, to what pass rush group he wants out there on the, on the third down plays. My question is, my, or my next question is, who is going to be this year's media darling? That every year, every year, you there's a guy the who's a, the seventh this. receiver that's not going to make the team, but everyone, all all the media types, sit there and go, "Tell you what, Johnny So and So's made a lot of nice plays out there at training it, camp." It's got to be Andre Yoshivash. I mean, yeah. my goodness, I mean that's the guy. It's his speed. The, it's the receiver the, from Princeton. Yes, correct. He's a pentathlete. Yeah. You didn't get a chance to see it in any of the OTAs. They didn't do even any one-on-one stuff, which kind of surprised me a little bit. I thought you'd see a little bit of that stuff. You didn't, you saw some red zone seven on sevens, but that didn't really tell you much um, as far as he went because uh, he was playing with, with the second group um, and or the third group actually at times with, with uh, Jake Browning and Browning really struggled in the last seven on seven. So we really didn't get a chance to see hardly any of this guy's athleticism uh, other than, you know, catching routes on air. So he's going to be the, you can, that first day of camp when he goes by um, a top flight corner and you're going to go, Oh, that's, that's either, Really good to see him do that or really bad to see top flight corner let him go by. 
Um, it's yeah, that's the one guy that I think everybody's gonna go gaga over that. And I think because we're gonna do it, I did it during OTAs for fun. The Brad Robbins versus Drew Chrisman hang time contest during during <laughs> the punting periods. Usually during punting periods, I sit there, I I I, I sit there leaning against one of the one of the tackling dummies and really pay zero attention to it. This year, I got to pay attention to punting. Well, hey, it's it's uh, something else to do. I I think Yosevich was definitely the right answer to the media darling question. The only thing I wonder is there the potential for a warrantable name in Charlie Jones to overshine him a little bit, because I feel like Charlie Jones might get a lot of the, the attention in preseason two. Yeah, that's a good call too. Um, yeah. Just because you know, you're, you're trying to slot him in as the future Tyler Boyd, a uh, B um, you know, can, can he give you some explosion if they play him outside too? So yeah, he's up there, but it's just, in fact, I'm, I, I did the wide receiver group yesterday and I kind of ticketed Yoshibosh for the practice squad just because of the numbers game. And, and you know, I, I think Stanley Morgan's special teams value is still very real. Uh, Trent Irwin is still a reliable receiver, but now he's kind of gone down a, a rung and you can juggle some of those things and maybe they keep seven. I, I just think that's probably the, the spot for him. So that still makes him a bit of a long shot to make this. Yeah. Um one thing that I always like to do, or it seems like naturally happens, is as you're going into training camp, I get irrationally high on certain players. Joseph Osai has been one guy like yep. that for me. For whatever reason, I just think Joseph Osai has this breakout potential and could be an absolute I do star. Too. I'm with you. Um, is there a guy for you that's that way going into this year? Maybe one of the new guys or, or uh, Chase or Brown. Like, uh, yeah, Chase Brown to me. I want to see what that what that looks like. Um, you know, I, I believe it or not, I'm a big believer in Travion Williams. I really and truly am. Uh, you know, he's only carried it 46 times in his four years. He's probably been jockeying between practice squad and up. But dude's averaged 5.1 yards a carry. He's got a little pop to him. I know he's not very big. And in fact, I did a story very early in OTAs. Um, I think it was before the draft. So technically he was the number two running back, I guess, if you will, behind Joe Mix on the depth chart at that point. So it was a story to do. And um, I said, you know, what do you think is holding you back? I said, I know it's kind of, you've been behind a couple of guys and that's done it. I said, is it pass blocking? Cause I haven't really seen you do it. And he looked at me, he's a really good kid too. He goes, bro, go look at my tape. I said, I said, so I'm assuming you're pretty confident. He, just looked at me, he goes, look at my tape. I'm like, all right, no, I, I, I trust you. I believe you. So, you know, he's not very big, but he kind of has a little geo in him where he's a, Gio was not very big and a terrific pass blocker. So yeah. you know, maybe Travion surprises us enough to know to go where he's he's maybe the number two back, the number two back. Yeah, I mean that's a possibility. You could end up with uh with the Chase ending up being your your third running back this right. year. And it wouldn't be all that surprising. And yet a lot of us are talking about him taking over as the, the starter for Mixon potentially. So well there, again, last year there's a clear line of demarcation. I mean, Joe was the one, Samaj P. Ryan was the two, and everybody was battling for three. Well, this year you got Chris Evans, even if you want to throw him in the mix, three guys battling for the two spot. Do you think Chris Evans is at all a factor? Yeah, I, I I don't. I mean, they don't seem to have a lot of trust in him as a runner because he's always trying to make the big play rather than just hit the hole and go with it. And maybe he makes improvements in that regard. The one thing the guy can do, and that there's no doubting this, dude can catch the football. That that part's a given. Uh, and so maybe they do find a role for him when all said and done. Skinny, any other storylines that you're really looking for as we enter training camp? Well, I mean, the one that's still looming because we're because we do it today is the Joe Burrow contract. Does it get done by the time <laughs> camp starts, and does that loom over camp and and the T Higgins extension? D- does it matter? I don't know if it matters. Well, I think it might may matter to those guys because I think at some point players just say, if it's not done by this date, I'm not, I'm not messing with this anymore. I'm focusing on the task at hand and the season at hand. So uh, maybe maybe it doesn't, Rick. Um, but I, I think as it looms it's still going to loom over that camp. There's no question about it. It's going to be a storyline, but whether yeah. you want it to be or not, I mean, people are right. definitely going to be talking about it. So no, no disagreement there. All right. A uh, couple more little quick bangles things aside from just the training camp stuff. Bleacher Report had a column this week titled predicting every NFL team's biggest breakout of the 2023 season. The writers pick for the Cincinnati Bengals biggest breakout player this season was Jonah Williams. The big point made that was, Big point that was made was basically Williams is going to get a chance to be more of a power run blocker on the right side, avoid being ex- as exposed as as much as he was last year by pass rushers. Are you buying Jonah Williams as the pick for Bengals' biggest breakout player of the 2023 season? That's a good pick. It really is. Um, again, he was exposed as a left tackle. And, you know, we've talked about this before. Joe Burrow can see what's coming at him from the right side. And Jonah can at least, you know, 
Again, you're not probably facing all the premium passers. Now, teams may flip-flop guys to put a rusher over him, their premium rusher over him. Um, but most right-handed quarterbacks, they have the tight end on the right side. So there's a guy there to chip and help. Um, you know, I, I, and as a run blocker, um, you know, maybe that is a more comfortable thing for him. So the, the funny part is when you look across the, the board, I mean, who's breaking out? Is Orlando Brown is a four-time Pro Bowler? Is he breaking out? Is veteran Ted Karras breaking his cap? Is, is T. Higgins breaking out? None of these guys are breaking out because they've already done it, right? So yeah. the only other candidate for me would be Irv Smith, I guess. Just a, a healthy season from Irv Smith and what he could do. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was like, who? if it's not Jonah Williams, who is the right answer? And uh, there are a couple of guys. Oh, Cy might be one, potentially, like we okay. just talked about. I was about. thinking more um, offense, but yes. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, maybe Dax Hill, you could throw out a, another name as a potential breakout guy. He's probably going to get the, the opportunity. I mean, and then I thought probably you, you wouldn't include newcomers in this list because it feels like that's not really a breakout guy. Breakout guy to me is a guy who's been around that's unexpected that's going to have that big, uh, make that big jump. But yeah, okay, if, if you're going with uh, newcomers included, then Irv Smith is a great option because he's going to get opportunities unlike he's ever had at, at the tight end spot in this system. Yeah, I mean, so. his whole thing is he's just not been healthy. And, right. and um, you know, he's a first-round talent. And hopefully if he stays healthy, he puts up better numbers than Hayden Hurst potentially. All right, one other uh, – <laughs> well, two other things here to get to. Panthers Pro Bowl running back Miles Sanders claims that teammate quarterback Andy Dalton is a future Hall of Famer. Skinny, are you uh, buying Andy Dalton as a Hall of Famer? I am. I'm buying him in the redheaded quarterback Hall of Fame. That's where I'm going to put Andy Dalton. Maybe in the TCU Horn Frog Hall of Fame. Andy Dalton has been a very capable quarterback in this league. I know nobody wants to hear that portion of it. Um, he has been. I mean, that's why he keeps getting chances in this league because coaches trust him. He's had success. He's won games. He's taken teams to playoffs, all those things. But good Lord, what, what are you smoking, Miles Sanders? He's not even close to a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like I get one of the dumb things we we're doing in media right now is they keep asking wide receivers and tight ends about like the the quarterback on their team. And they go, yeah, he's the best quarterback in the NFL. Sure. And then everybody makes a big deal. I go, can you believe Travis Kelsey said Pat Mahomes was the best quarterback in the NFL? Can you believe Please, Higgins right. said Joe Burrow is the best quarterback in right. the NFL? It's like, yeah, absolutely. I can. They're two of the best quarterbacks in the NFL and their guys are going to take up for him. That's not like a statement. Miles Sanders Saying that Andy Dalton should be in the Hall of Fame, that's, that's crazy talk. Yeah, that's, that's, crazy that's, talk. That's, that's going way over the top. See, I, I, I saw I, I saw this story. I didn't read it again. Did he mean Pro Football Hall of Fame? Was he talking College Football Hall of Fame, the TCU Hall of Fame? Hell, was it his, his high school? Was it the Katie whatever high school Hall of Fame? And again, yeah. was it the red-headed, right-handed quarterback Hall of Fame? I don't know. That's clear. He, just said, he said future Hall of Famer. That's it. He, he left it ambiguous. So you're right. I mean, he, I'm in, I'm in two Hall of Fames. I, I, you know, it, it is what it is, but I'm not in the Hall of Fame. Hold on. Your Northern Kentucky Sports Hall of Fame? And the Northern Kentucky Athletic Directors Hall of Fame. Okay. All right. I yeah. was going to say, that's yeah. that's big time. I didn't know. Yeah. So I can claim to be a Hall of Famer, but at what level this, like I said, what level Hall of Fame are we talking about there, Miles Sanders? I mean, my thing, my thing is, Miles Sanders is already doing enough when he was saying, we've got a great veteran in Andy Dalton who's helping our young quarterback learn the, the way, whatever. You don't have to add in future Hall of Famer. Right. That's just an absurd thing to say, but uh, so be it. Good for Miles Sanders for sticking up for the Red Rifle. I did see someone say, "It will a Andy Dalton's still trying to get into the TCU Hall of Fame, and that's okay. a question. So, <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, and last thing here. Kevin Huber retired like two weeks ago. We just didn't really – we weren't talking about Bengals last yep. week, so we didn't get to it. It, it. That hasn't created a lot of buzz because it's your punter retiring, but a guy who was around Cincinnati for – a lot of good years, some not so good years, but really was great throughout his career here. Let me ask you this. Is he a ring of honor guy? That's a great question, Rick. Um, I'm um, saying yes. You know, it, it's going to be a while because, because we're going to get to, we're, we are going to get to the point of the AJ green, Geno Atkins, even Carlos Dunlap's. Well, as long as he uh, goes in before Corey Dillon, that's all I care about. <laughs> that, that would really tick him off. I think he should. I think that just should be the only point Maybe. of this is putting you him know, in before Corey Dillon. I think for longevity, consistency, um, you know, again, I know he's not a part of this, but well, he is a part of it. He wasn't a big part of it. I mean, he was a member of, what, seven playoff teams? 
and a Super Bowl team and a franchise like the Bengals that doesn't have a lot of playoff teams yeah. that matter. And and by the way, there were a lot of games through the Andy Dalton era where they'd go three and out. Yeah, and feel like they trusted the offense. They were relying on defense. And there were games I remember specifically tweeting this going. Kevin Huber's the MVP today because yeah. he'd flip field and kick a 65 yard punt and save the save the defense because the offense couldn't move the ball at all. I'm I'm a big Kevin Huber guy. A, I think he probably you know, doesn't get enough credit for his career. I think you make a good point. I, I like I said, I think there's a bunch of guys that are ahead of him in the pecking order, but I think you'll see him pop up on the ballot in a handful of years, and and you know hopefully you start looking around going, yeah, it's his time to go in because he is the franchise record holder for games played and the success he had in doing so. That, that's 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 actually a great question. All right. We'll switch gears here to college basketball. We only got one thing to talk about, but Kentucky did go play four real basketball games, sort of. They were in Canada playing at the Global Jam representing USA. They won the gold medal. They went 4-0, not 0-4, like Kyle had predicted might happen. But, Skinny, the real topic of conversation here is that partly – out of necessity because all of their big guys were injured. You got and Yenso we mentioned had gotten injured right before they started the thing. So they didn't really have any centers to play with in this event. Cal played small ball lineups the entire time, attempted nearly 33 pointers per game. Do you think this is here to stay this season? Or do you think that was a, a one-off because it's the summer and he didn't have any centers to play with? that it just kind of happened. Well, I think Bradshaw wants to consider himself a four, right? I mean, that's what he wants to consider himself. Yeah, even though he's seven, seven foot. Yeah. Yeah, no. And and so if he can show some of that ability to stretch a little bit, um, I do think it's here to stay. I, I think I'm right on this stat, Rick. And I didn't see any of those games. Cause I, as I mentioned, I was on vacation, but I did look a couple of days. I was watching the live box score go through and then watch, look at the box score after every time. And I think I saw a final stat on this. I can't remember where it was. Might have been the Courier Journal, I think, that read this stat. They had assists on 72.5% of their baskets in those four games. You know, A, for a bunch of new guys playing together, that's astonishing. And B, that did show you that this team, at least in these four games, moved the ball, shared the ball. And if you looked at the bottom, multiple guys got double figures. You know, the ball didn't stick. And as much as you liked um, Oscar, no offense, the ball got in him, it stuck, and it should have. I mean, I get it, but I think this is this is the way basketball is played today. And the more guys that can give you scoring, the harder it is to guard you. And the more guys are willing to share. And to this guy's credit, I mean, they shared like crazy. And that's yeah. that's the funny part, you know. Um, I, you know, you would think would Rob Dillingham try to just get in the paint and score ten footers? Would would Wagner try to get to the hole and be selfish? And it didn't seem like that at all. And then you got the the, the mix of Reed Shepard coming in and playing great. And I think he actually led them in assists in, in Canada. Yeah. So yeah, I think it was a very productive trip. And I do think they can play this way because I think when Onyenso comes back and now they're talking months. So who knows when that's going to be? He's he's a we're up eight. Got a little foul trouble, need some rim protection. That's what he's there for. And the rest of it, we're playing this way. And I think with this group, he, they showed they could play this way. Now, I'm not getting too far over my skis, but those were still four pretty good wins. Yeah, and I mean, the, the scores of the games and the, the fact that they're winning, I don't know how much it all means. Now, they were playing against other college players. Sure. You know, like yeah. Demas Lukosius is going to bet UC. Yep. He was on one of the teams they played. So they were playing against some legit guys that weren't like, 40-year-old smoking cigarettes at halftime or anything. It wasn't like one of those types of trips. It was real basketball. Um, But again, I I don't put a whole lot of stock into the actual scores or the numbers. What I'm more interested in is the style that UK saw because this is exactly what everyone's been crushing Cal for is not shooting nearly – I mean, he's never had a team that's averaged 23-point attempts per game. This team attempted nearly 30. Yeah, technically Trey Mitchell was the five, right? Trey Mitchell was playing the five and he was out – Standing for them. Yeah, he, I mean, he was a huge it. get in the transfer portal. Yeah, no question. I mean, he led him in rebounding. He's, I don't think he's a great three point shooter, but he's certainly a capable. He showed the ability to do shooter. it. Yeah, yeah, right. He's a capable three point shooter. I mean, you you literally could have five guys on the floor that make threes and can get to, get to the hole on top of it. Those are hard to guard, man. Well, and you were talking about how they moved the ball and how unselfish they were. A lot of that is on Trey Mitchell at the five spot with his ability to pass. I mean, he averaged. Uh, 14 and a half points, nearly eight rebounds and four and a half assists per game while they were over there. He did a little bit of everything. And we have a five man that can move the ball like that, that you can play through. It really helps your offense go. And, and this was straight dribble drive, like the old yeah. school Cal yep. dribble drive. Yep. Like he, he was running at Memphis with, with all the guards out there. It was, 
it was really fun stuff to watch. And and Antonio Reeves, by the way, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention him, was everything. He averaged well, 23 points a game, seemed like he was making every shot he took. He was their go-to guy. Yeah, and that's that's how important it was that they got lucky to get Trey Mitchell and then Antonio Reeves came back. Because as much as people want to crap on Antonio Reeves for the performance in the, in the, the last NCAA tournament game, he does give you a veteran out there. He's going to have nights, again, where he's going to probably go two for ten. Um, and and maybe at that that's a night where he doesn't play as many minutes and a Reed Shepard does. I don't, you know, however that works itself out, but his veteran presence and the way he shot the ball were, were just huge. And the same for Trey Mitchell, what he gives you, he gives you a little, not, not a lot of something, just a little bit of everything. Yeah. And uh, Justin Edwards out of the freshman was yeah, probably yeah. the most impressive from a scoring perspective. He led them. He had 14 and a half a game, but DJ Wagner was right there. He was at 14 a game. He was really good. Rob Dillingham was actually the guy who struggled a little yeah, bit. I no, thought I, I heard so many good things about him and, and, uh, practices and and open gyms leading up to this, and then he was the guy that didn't seem like he was really in sync with the rest of the group. Was taking some bad shots and forcing the issue a little bit. But uh, Reed Shepard was awesome, yes. outstanding defensively and and sharing the ball on offense. So, I mean, yeah, this is look again. This is summer basketball. It doesn't mean a whole lot, but if you're a Kentucky fan, I can't imagine that could have gone much better. No, agreed. All right. Let's switch gears here to Ask Any Anything. It's a special edition of Ask Any Anything. Skinny, with it being just uh, potentially hours away from me having my first child, or yes. at least days, our due date is on Saturday, recording this on Wednesday. Uh, it's a special father's edition of Ask Any Anything. All these questions are fatherhood related for you. So, oh boy. Uh, yeah, these I asked specifically for that on Twitter, and the people came through. Five time so, nominee for Father of the Year, never won it. That's a shame. I thought they would have yeah. given you that. Yeah. That's my as, daughter. As a dad, if you could have any athlete train your kid in anything, who would you pick? Oh. So both of my girls, my, my youngest was more dancer theater, but she did play high school golf. And my oldest played played college golf. Um, that's a good one. I, I would maybe go – I would go Butch Harmon maybe to teach my, my, my oldest uh, as a swing coach. All right. That's, that's pretty good. I mean, I, listen, they, they, we used to play like wiffle ball in the backyard and neither one of them were any good at that. We, <laughs> I had a basketball hoop in a pretty nice area, like a flat, almost a half court size flat area. It just worked out that way. The way we built the house, that wasn't intentional. Um, and I still shot a lot of hoops on my off time while they were kids and they'd come out and I could tell right away, neither one of them were going to be very good basketball players. And my old, my oldest gravitated to golf through her grandfather at age five. And it just kind of ballooned and took off. So golf became her thing. And so it would have to be something golf related. I feel like most people, if I said something else, most people would be like, Oh, you're an idiot. It should be golf because that's how you get scholarships. And that's, there's more opportunity available through golf for a, a kid that's coming from your body. Well, especially, so. especially for two parents that are about five foot seven, there was no chance that they were going to be all that uh, tall. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was the last point of that coming from my body type is a yes. big part of that. Yes. Uh, did skinny read any parenting books before having his kid? No, no, nope, not a chance. My wife did. Um, so I kind of left some of that to her, but I flew by the seat of my pants. <laughs> Sounds about right. Uh, Skinny, the first beer brand. Well, this is this is the first beer brand you're giving your child. So I guess that was intended for me. What was the first beer that you had your kids try? Um, believe it or not, my my uh, my oldest didn't like beer. She's a cider drinker, so she tasted. I think she tasted beer on her own in college and didn't like it. My youngest, the first beer I know that she drank wasn't with me, but hey, when they go to college, I'm not asking questions, man. Just don't <laughs> don't do stupid stuff and um, and call me after her first probably real buzz off of Natty Light. <laughs> I told her you have no taste. And she yeah. said, "Well, it tasted fine to me." And now she's very so. We we did. We were. I was just down there to visit my youngest who works at Disney World, and the last day um, we went to Epcot and did some things in the morning, and then the two girls and I drank around the world we didn't stop in every country we made like five stops but we've done it before and actually so i stopped in germany to get a, a beer and my daughter wanted to taste she goes she goes yeah they got a great grapefruit beer here i'm like where did you start doing this stuff like they got a great grapefruit beer here for goodness you're, sakes you were drinking natty light yeah exactly where did this, where did your palate change so um yeah but the natty light was the first one for her that i know of do you remember what your first beer was i do um i was, I was a sophomore in high school the times people i'm sorry it was the times um a friend of mine 
we bought two cases of quartz at a at a bar in Covington, the 875 Bar and Grill. I don't know if it's even still there or not. Went to the state tournament, and I, I drank a quart of Miller High Life out of little Dixie cups. Kind of almost like, for those that may remember the Happy Days episode, Richie Cunningham drank 72 teeny-weeny Dixie cups of beer. That was kind of me. I just kept pouring the cup, dude, dude, dude. And I do remember the, the first bed spins, man. That caught me off guard, bro. That that was That was a lot. That's tough. Yeah. How about for tough. you? I don't remember what my my first beer was, but I, w- I didn't drink at all in high school. Um, like, I mean, I mean, maybe there was like one or two times where I tried it. And then in college, I started drinking a little bit, but mostly I didn't really drink until I was I was 21. Um, but at, right after I turned 21 and started where I might have been 20 at the time, but right about that age, I started going out a little bit then. uh I developed in the degenerate that you see before you now and things started happening. But up until that point, I really was, was pretty sober. Um, the, the other thing, that, the other part of this question was at what age will you be cool with your kid drinking? Um, college. I, I, I mean, I get it again. Like I said, don't be stupid. Um, that, that's the only part. And I think both of mine were pretty responsible. My, my youngest was in a sorority. Well, they both were in a sorority. I take it back. My youngest lived in the sorority house at UK and, they don't do a whole lot of partying in the sorority house. Uh, most of the times when I think she partied, honestly, she was a pretty good, good uh, tailgater for football games. She, I think got her, got her drink on for tailgates. Um, but for the most part, they were pretty responsible. I know my oldest got, she got hammered. <laughs> she got hammered her freshman year of college called us the next day and said, she said a nice boy drove her home. I'm like, dude, you have no idea how lucky you are that he was a nice boy. Don't try that nonsense again. If you get messed up, Call one of us and we'll come up there and, and, and take you home. There's no way. Like, like I said, she got lucky. The guy apparently was a nice guy and did just drive her home. But man, that's why I said, I said, learn your lesson fast on that one. She did. So, yeah. So it sounds like though that you didn't have a specific age where you were like, it was an unwritten rule or even a, a talk about rule in your house where it's like, after you're yeah. this age, you're good to go. You can, I don't think, and I, I don't want to be naive. I don't think they drank in high school. I don't think either one of them drank in high school. I really don't. Yeah, uh, we didn't have my parents never had that thing where it was like, yeah, you're OK. You're allowed to legally drink in our house now, even though you're not 21. We never had that either. So I don't know. I I, I, I didn't really talk about that with my wife. I don't think we have a set plan for how we're going to handle the drinking issue. Uh, are there any discipline tactics Skinny used on his kids that were particularly effective or that he regrets? Um, both effective and one was regrettable. Um <laughs> I, I have a feeling I know where you're going. I literally, we, so we have a, 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 a split ranch. So we have a upstairs and a downstairs. And so I got to the point with, with my youngest specifically, my oldest wasn't bad. Honestly, she was a pretty good kid. She was pretty easy for the most part. Um, my youngest though was very headstrong and she and I butted heads on a lot of things uh, still do to this day. Um, but when I got had enough, I just made her run the steps and I, I said, you got 15 minutes, you're running the steps and she'd have to run up and down the steps. And I said, are you tired of it yet? And when she'd tell me she was, I said, you want to go do what we asked you to do? And she would. The, the one I do regret a little bit, this was when she was probably 10 or 11, I guess, maybe a little, maybe 12, whatever. She was, she was just preteen, I believe. She sassed back at my wife about something one morning where we'd asked her to do a couple of things a couple of times and she screamed back. So I literally grabbed, it was a Sunday morning. I grabbed her. I don't know if any of her feet hit the steps going down. I just, I just yanked her down the steps, literally threw her in the car. I said, let's go. And I took her around to some really rough neighborhoods in both downtown and in other parts of Northern Kentucky. The one that, that scared me on myself. And that's what I I was just trying to tell her, you got it pretty good kid compared to what you're looking at right now. So I made her get out in Washington park. I said, get out of the car, just get out. I said, "I'll, I'll pick you up in a bit. All I did was circle the block. So I circled the block. She didn't know I was just circling the block. I circled the block and she stayed in there mortified because there's a dude laying on the bench. I didn't see him who apparently had puked all over himself. And I'm like, and she's like, um, we can go now. I'm sorry. So do I regret it? I do a little, but I, I hope it scared her into understanding how good you have it. And every time from that point forward, something would go awry where we get a little bit. I go, I go, got it pretty bad. Don't you? You want to go see how bad you might have it again? No. I said, okay, well then we're good. She actually, she actually brought that story up to us uh, uh, um, on the on the trip down there. She goes, "You remember the time?" I said, "Oh, I sure do." <laughs> yeah, I remember the time. I'm going to tell it on a podcast next yep. week. <laughs> uh, the best part about that is one, you're coached through and through. Your discipline is making your kids run like right. like you're a Norman Dale or something. And then, the, I mean, that that tactic is is just 
beautiful. Like, I mean, that is, it's, you're running your own scared straight episodes in real life. That's, I, I think I, I think I slapped my kid. I, I was, we're not spankers. I think I spanked. The only one I spanked was my oldest one time when she, we, we live in a, uh, a cul-de-sac and her best friend was catty corner across the street. And we would tell her, if you're going across the street, we have to see you go across the street or you have to walk around the cul-de-sac. So one day she said, I'm, I'm going across the daughter's house. She goes, I'm going down the cul-de-sac. So, okay. But by happenstance, for whatever reason, I just took a quick peek outside and she had sprinted across the street. And dude, we don't have a lot of traffic, but it's still, it's dangerous. All those things. Dude, I grabbed her and swatted that rear end hard one good time. And I that's, I did regret that. That one I did yeah. regret. I'm not a big, I'm not a, I'm not a spanker guy. Yeah. I don't even know the rules to that stuff anymore. Are you even allowed to like spank anymore? Or just it's a great question. Don't ask, don't tell. Kind of well, thing I would raise my hand in my, that's my fun. I would raise my hand in my youngest when she was, she goes, I'm going to call the cops. I'm like, go ahead and do it. I don't care. Do what you got to do. <laughs> uh, who would you pick to babysit your child between Vontez Perfect and Albert Bell? I have no idea why those were the two people chosen, but. Well, Albert Bell's got some anger issues. Vontez Perfect, he's just creepy. I, I, I'm going Albert Bell and that's a stretch, but that's it's a tough that's a tough one right there. Could, if I had a third choice of leave them by themselves, could I do that? Yeah, I'd just say fend for yourself. Yeah, you're, the wolves. Every man for himself, kids. Yeah, put them out in the woods. That's, that's a great that's a great choice. <laughs> Vontez Perfect under oath. You could give me Charles Manson as opposed to Vontez Perfect. I take Charles Manson. I, I would agree with that actually. Hypothetical. Skinny is coaching your son someday. I guess talking about mine. With the game on the line, he slides over to take a charge. Ref calls a block, even though it was clearly a charge. Who gets ejected first? Skinny, Rick, or son? Or does Rick yell at Skinny for teaching taking charges? I'm going with that answer. I'm actually going to go with that answer. Of your coach is stupid. You don't need to be doing those kind of things. And now look what happened to you. You, get, you caused a big foul in a key moment because you wanted to get run over because of your stupid coach. You would say that, wouldn't you? Absolutely. First of all, I'm I'm at your neck first and foremost. But the the right answer here is the first person to get ejected is my wife. Uh, she she's she's on that ref's ass. I'm telling you that right now. Oh, that's uh, funny. We, we our first year of dating, I had had uh, season tickets to NKU games before I was broadcasting. Right. And I was like, hey, I mean, they're so cheap at this time. I'm thinking sure. if she wants to go out on two or three dates to NKU games this year while I'm doing that, since I have season tickets. And I work also the other part to understand is I work weekends covering college basketball and high school sports at the time. And I'm uh, working overnight. So it's like we don't have a ton of normal right. date right. nights. So it's like, right. hey, I'm going to all these games. If you want to come to a couple, I'll buy you a season ticket so you, you can come to anyone you want. And she's like, yeah, well, she ends up coming to every single game that year with me. And she loved it, but very quickly I learned that she knows the rules enough, but she's on the ref's asses like she knew the rules better than them. And it was like I was taken aback a few times within the first few games of like, this girl is crazy. I think I love her. So that's that's my story right there is that like the refs have no shot with my wife. I'm going to be trying to keep her in check and keep her from getting kicked out of games when our kids play sports. It's not going to be me. That's the issue. Yeah, um, I, I believe it's Chris Mack's wife is, is is has been known to yell at officials in Northern Kentucky uh, uh, kids games, if I'm not mistaken. Does that sound right to you? I remember actually uh, one of my first years covering Xavier before they had moved us up to the bunkers where we were sitting like at the top of the first level. I was sitting down uh, at midcourt right next to Byron Larkin doing the radio broadcast every game. And there was one game specifically where I just remember hearing a lady just scream at one of the refs by name. And she is just dogging him for about 10 straight minutes by name. And it's like personal. I, I turn around, I look up, and Christy Mack is standing on the seat of her chair screaming at, at the ref. So, yep. yeah, she she could give it to him. But she's another one who uh, – she really knows the game. I mean, like – Oh, yeah, yeah. When sure. she's yelling at you, yes. she's right yeah. usually. It's not usually like a – she's not yelling uh, over the back or something like your typical fourth-grade fan. Yeah. The, the one thing I, I will say is this, is is for those that have gone through this and those that are maybe uh, eventually going to be sport as a sports parent, that's that's the most difficult thing I've ever done in my lifetime. Um, you know, I, I I remember we were playing in that national tournament that we won in basketball, and the, the day of, I, my wife said, "Are you nervous?" I go, "Not really, because I can control the situation. It's it's up to me and the kids at this was, you know, that, when you control things." But man, as a parent, I never realized this until I walked so many golf tournaments with my daughter of just 
you you have no control over any of it, and you're rooting yeah. so hard for them because you know the work they've put into it. Man, that is that's that's way harder than I ever thought it was going to be. I thought, oh, I know sports; it's going to be no man. You're a parent first. What, no matter how much you try to slip that out of your system, it's hard. And that's the biggest thing I'm worried about because I've covered so much high school youth sports now that it's like the parents ruin everything. Like the parents acting like idiots are the worst part of all of it. That they they are. The worst. And I have always told myself, I'm not going to be that guy when it comes to that time. And I even told my wife, it's like, I'm going to have every piece of video and camera equipment you can have. And I'll document all the games because hopefully I won't want to hear my own stupid voice that's, yelling that's at a, the video. That, that's a good call. That's actually not a bad choice. I think it's the only way to accomplish that on my end because I know myself, I will not want to hear my vid- my voice yelling onto the video. And uh, I think that's one way to accomplish it. So that's my plan. But I'm telling you, I, I am worried about that. My goal is to never be that guy because I've seen it in action so many times. And that guy never looks good. No one is no. ever like, Oh yeah, that, that guy really cares about his kid or that guy really knows the sport. It's like, that guy's a jerk off. Everyone hates it <laughs> every time. That's there's no, there's no other way that goes. So you, you got to try to find a way to avoid that. That's all I got skinny. All good stuff. Uh, Rick, uh, I, I know it, the, the countdown is on. So hopefully by the time we, we do this next podcast, you will be a father, and I'm sure your wife is, is yeah, let's hope. the same thing at this point, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's so, hope. Yeah, let's hope, for, for goodness sakes. Thanks for all the questions, as always. We'll be back next week, actually, uh, with a uh, – Bengals will be in training camp mode by the time we do this next podcast. So we'll have some training camp conversation, and of course, more Reds, and much, much more on other topics. For Rick Brewery, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly pulpit edition, presented by Blake, the attorney Mason.